Hello and welcome to the review show on Crime Time FM. I'm Paul Burke and I'm never happier than when I'm reading and talking about books. Now there's a bumper selection today from cosy to noir, local to international, funny to frightening. And of course, we're on trend, so there's a couple of island featuring in stories as well. Maybe we should start there, actually. The Island by Adrian McKinty. Certainly one of the biggest crime fictions of the month. Perhaps this could best be described as hit-and-run hell in the outback. When the Baxters of Seattle finally realise that the O'Neills of Dutch Island, Queensland, are off the charts crazy, they decide to cut short their holiday on their land. Tragically, in the haste to leave, Dr. Tom Baxter manages to knock down and kill Ellen O'Neill. She's out cycling on the route to the ferry. Tom and his family are about to experience their worst nightmare, and some. McKinney hit pay dirt last year with The Chain, a high-concept thriller about a kidnap-for-cash ring. It really struck a chord with readers and reviewers alike, and he finally achieved a commercial success that his brilliant Irish police procedural series featuring Sean Duffy never did. It stopped the author finally throwing in the towel. So the island has an awful lot to live up to, both commercially and critically. Having said that, it has already been earmarked for Hollywood. This time McKinty has drawn on an incident in his own past, a time when he lived in Australia and narrowly avoided hitting someone while driving in the middle of nowhere. His agent encouraged him to imagine what might have happened, and that led to this novel. This takes us into deliverance territory as an American family falls foul of the locals. The O'Neills prefer their own idea of summary justice to letting the law take its course. Things are set to get very, very nasty. McKinty is a fine writer. There are elements of the story that are gripping and scary. The Baxter family and the dynamics of the family are very well done. The villains a little less so, perhaps a little tropey. But nonetheless, there's an interesting interplay between certain members of the O'Neill clan and their internal feuding, and that gives depth to the story. This is an interesting take on an age-old story of innocence caught in a trap and hunted, with a modern twist or two. The island plays on the fears of falling foul of the locals when visiting a place so far off the beaten track. It's totally isolated. After the explosive opening, the pace is a little slow for a while, and it takes a while to reignite. Then it's action all the way. The chain was always going to be a tough act to follow. The island doesn't quite live up to it. It is, however, a good old-fashioned beach read, a solid adventure thriller. Published by Orion in hardback and available now. Next up is Martin Walker's To Kill a Troubadour. It's the latest Chief Bruno Koresh investigation. Once again, the otherwise sedate and beautiful life of the Dodoin is the seductive backdrop to an intriguing mystery. Often seen as cosy, these novels have a depth to them, and there are always serious undertones to the story. Never more so than here. It's not all about location and character although it's really easy to take to both Bruno and the place. I love the political background, the historical and cultural relevance of this story. It's summer, and Bruno is preparing for the Saint-Denis annual concert. Local Perigord folk group, Les Troubadours, are performing their number, A Song for Catalonia. When the song went viral, the Spanish government banned it over fears of inflaming calls for Catalan independence. The troubadours are in the spotlight, even receiving death threats on social media. Now that might not mean a lot, except a colleague of Bruno's has recently found a specialist sniper bullet in a car stolen on the Spanish border, abandoned after a crash in Bergerac. 
The Spanish advised that a group of nationalist extremists may be planning an assassination on French soil. Now Bruno fears for Le Tourbadours and the community attending the upcoming concert. To add to his woes, Bruno has fears for his friend Florence. Her violent ex-husband is about to get out of jail and he wants to see his children. Casimir claims to have changed, but has he? Walker's love of the culture, the food, the history of the Dordogne shine out. But this is also a gripping read. The tension builds towards the concert. A very satisfying read. The subtly played political backdrop to this one makes this one of Walker's bests for me. Published by Quercus in hardback on June the 9th. Leslie Thompson's The Companion features D.I. Tony Kemp of the Sussex Police. Thompson's novels are haunting. They explore loss and grief and the fragile nature of mortality. She began writing when a friend was murdered while jogging, and you can feel something of that driving her writing and her themes. In The Companion, James Ritchie collects his son from his estranged wife's house for a boy's day out. Wilbur's a little reluctant. Doesn't seem to want to leave his mother. Is that a portent? Because the two never return. Their bodies are discovered on a beach at Seaford Head. The killings are brutal. They feel personal. But then a couple and their son, the Robinsons, are found murdered in Deadman's Wood, and Tony and her team are faced with the possibility of a serial killer on the loose. Meanwhile, 70-year-old Rex Lomax, still grieving the loss of his wife, employs a companion, someone to stop the silence and to help him out during the day. That's Tim. It's not long before Tony and others begin to suspect the motives of Tim in working for Rex. So what's going on at Blacklock House? This is a place where almost everyone has a secret. It's a fascinating study of a small community when faced with violent crime. There's an interesting juxtaposition between that lovely setting and the really dark deeds that are going on. It's very well written, but not entirely to my taste. It's a very slow build. The relationship between characters are really carefully crafted and explored, and I appreciate that, but I would have preferred a higher tempo. Published by Head of Zeus, and available in hardback on the 9th of June. Next up is The Dark Tide by Simon McCleave. It's the first in a new series for Avon featuring D.I. Laura Hart. McCleave is a member of the Welsh writing collective Crime Cymru, and as a self-published author, he's achieved a phenomenal following for his Snowdonia Killing series in just two years. This is his first traditionally published novel. It augurs well for a police procedural series that ticks all the boxes. An intriguing detective with a troubled past, gritty villains, not all on the wrong side of the law, and a thorny, zeitgeisty issue to deal with, county lines in this case. When it comes to action, as a screenwriter... For shows like Silent Witness, Teachers, EastEnders, McCleave is good on high drama. What's different about this novel is the Welsh setting, Anglesey in North Wales. Though the action opens in 2018 in Manchester, D.I. Laura Hart is called to a drugs warehouse in Trafford for a raid, which rapidly goes wrong. The heavily armed gang have two police hostages, including her husband Sam. Four years later we find Laura and her 11-year-old son, living on Anglesey. She's still grieving, still troubled by how things went down when Sam was killed. The Bomaris police are dealing with county lines issues. They have intel on a shipment of drugs about to land on Anglesey from Liverpool. When the subsequent operation goes wrong, the drugs gang escape with hostages, a group of schoolchildren, 
including Laura's son, Max. Now she's fighting for the life of another loved one, and this time she can't fail. A little kicker at the end sets up a plot line for the follow-up. A good one for fans of the British police procedural. Published by Avon in paperback original, and available now. Killing Me Softly by Guy Hale is an altogether different thing. Best described as irreverent and very funny, a satire on the music business in gloriously bad taste. Blackjack is a one-horse town in the middle of the desert. Jimmy Wayne is a mediocre singer-songwriter, going nowhere in life. So when he wakes up in his dingy little hotel room, Jimmy is surprised to find Wendy staring at him all goggle-eyed. In fact, she's hanging by her neck from the wardrobe door. It slowly dawns on Jimmy that their sex game, while very drunk and trippy, took a gruesome twist. Maybe he's thinking about shopping himself when he sees a song in his handwriting by the telephone. It's good. In fact, it's by far the best thing he's ever written. He does have a talent after all. But Jimmy just needs to kill people in order to write. First he has to get rid of Wendy, though she haunts him through the rest of the novel. Now Jimmy has to find people to kill people who deserve to die, unlike poor Wendy. Anything to get fame and recognition and a big fat Las Vegas gig. Apparently Hell got the idea for this one from a singer-songwriter friend, Mike Zito, who performs the soundtrack to the novel, the songs that appear in the text. Music fans will love the in-jokes. This is pulpy, wicked and thoroughly entertaining. Published in paperback by White Fox and available now. Next up, Do No Harm by Jack Jordan, a medical thriller that seems to have struck a chord with the advanced readers. It's gathering a lot of pace by word of mouth. I have to admit I wasn't particularly wowed by the premise. A doctor is blackmailed into killing a patient on the operating table by the unknown kidnappers of her son. It's been done before, several times. Although it does present a great moral quandary. However, I was soon won over by Jordan's imaginative twists, his unusual characters, and his slightly wry style. It isn't just about why politician Ahmed Shabir should die, or about Anna the surgeon, but about the other staff too. And then there's Rachel, the inspector, with her own story. Do No Harm takes unexpected twists. It's long, but a fast and easy read. Perfect for the beach, I suppose. Does Anna kill the prospective Labour leader, Shabir? And why does somebody want him dead? You'll have to read to find out. Much sharper than I originally anticipated. An enjoyable read. Published by Simon and & Schuster. And available now. Another complete change of pace, and we're back with Ireland's this time, but this is very different to Adrian McKinty. The Sanctuary by Andrew Hunter Murray. Now this is a kind of alt-reality novel that depends on us, the reader, buying into the world the writer has created. And I have to say I really did. I loved this mix of sort of pre-tech age and post-apocalypse world. The country, strangely eastern, western, is ruled by the great man. There's desperation and fighting around the capital. Ben, a painter, receives a letter from his girlfriend Cara. She's working on a project on an island called Pemberley in the north. It's a Dear John letter. She's not coming back. Pembley is special. Ben decides that there's nothing much for him in the capital and things are falling apart anyway, so he undertakes the long journey to Pemberley in search of Kara. 
Some say Pemberley is a garden of Eden, others the plaything of a man who may be the devil in disguise. Kara isn't on Pemberley when Ben arrives, but what he finds is totally shocking. This is a disturbing and atmospheric dystopian novel, rich in imagination and stylishly written. I was totally immersed in this story that has themes around climate change and the future of humanity on a decaying planet. Totally absorbing. Out now in hardback from Hutchinson Heinemann. The next novel is the most powerful by far of all the books I've read this month. Lacuna by Fiona Snickers. I'm actually reluctant to pass brief comment on it because it is deserving of a full review. But here we go. Lacuna. Described by the author as an intertextual conversation with J.M. Kurtzier's novel Disgrace. This gives a voice to Lucy Lurie, the victim of a gang rape at her father's farm near Cape Town. This is an angry novel, angry at injustice, at society for ignoring the voices of victims, and angry at male violence. But to be clear, it's never less than measured, intelligent, and thought-provoking, not to mention nuanced. It's not just about misogyny and male violence, abuse and betrayal, and giving a voice to victims. It also deals with issues of white feminism and conscious and subconscious bias. Lucy is raped, but she doesn't actually equate that with her father's behaviour as an abuser. Her father subsequently betrays her. But he's not the only one. After the event, Lucy's colleague, John Kutzia, writes a version of her story, but she doesn't see herself as present in it. Lacuna is it's an indictment of academia, of inaction and inequality and racism in society. Lucy's account is dismissed as angry, as paranoid. She becomes categorised as bipolar, depressed and delusional, as if somehow her response to a terrible trauma isn't actually rational reasonable and understandable. What Lucy describes, though, is the void, the lacuna, that absence, the gap, the emptiness inside after such a terrible and the pain. And yet she still doesn't empathise with the black, the poor women, who suffer a similar kind of abuse. The lacuna is one of those books that explores the most important issues in society, the kind of stuff that we don't like to face up to. It's truly compelling and complex, and it's painful to read, but it's so important. I have to say this book really did make me angry, because I know how poorly we've addressed the issues that are at the centre of this novel. It's also a powerful response to Kurtzia's book Disgrace, but you don't need to have read Disgrace to understand the importance of this novel. Published by Europa Editions, in paperback, and it's out now. Have you ever heard of Neil Humphreys? Me neither until I read three novels published by the Muswell Press. When I finished the first, I enjoyed it so much I went straight on to the second and third novels. So this is a trilogy of police procedurals featuring D.I. Stanley Lowe of the Singapore Police. Stanley is bipolar. He says what he thinks and could care less what his colleagues think of him. His directness makes him a very effective cop in a deferential society. He's also very funny. And of course the location isn't so much exotic as unique. Marina Bay Sins, the first of the books, is about a murder of a sex worker prostitute. That hardly registers with the police. But the dead expat in the most glamorous hotel in town, who may have killed the sex worker, is another matter altogether. 
Add to that the fact that Stanley knows the man. He knows he was investigating gambling linked to sports and gangsters in the city. Then you have a very interesting story developing. The second novel, Rich Kill, Poor Kill, sees another murder that doesn't raise much interest. A foreign worker assumed to have gotten into a drunken argument in a back street. But he's only the first victim of something very, very rare in Singapore, a serial killer. The final instalment, Bloody Foreigners, sees Stanley on a course in London, where a racist murder sees him working with the local police to solve a very nasty crime before more trouble ensues on the streets. All three novels tell interesting stories. The culture clashes between East the culture clashes and the East and West divide are really interesting, and Stanley certainly is unforgettable. This is easy reading. You find yourself with a few hours to kill, this absolutely fits the bill. Very enjoyable. All published by Muswell Press and available now in paperback. So every month I intend to let an author talk about their work, and this time it's Linda Regan talking about her novel, The Burning Question. Hello, I'm Linda Regan. I write police procedural. Uh, my books star, let's say star, two police people, uh, DCI Paul Bannum and DI Alison Granger. Now they're also a couple sometimes and sometimes not. So they're on and off and they work together to fight crime. All my books can be read as standalones. My latest is called The Burning Question. The Burning Question is about arson. A woman is found dead, burnt to death in a flat. The whole flats have gone up, but this the fire started in this particular flat and the fire forensics will come in and they will realise that it wasn't an accident, it is arson. And so we have a murder case on our hands. Further in, we have somebody very new in our police murder investigation and when somebody else is found burnt to death this particular new policewoman realizes the connection but can't say anything because there's a lot of other things going on then the police get more and more involved and this new policewoman is getting very, very nervous. So what will be the outcome? Will she come forward? Will she not come forward? And will they get to the bottom of this case? Well, I hope you'll read the book and find out. Um, The new policewoman will feature again in in other books. So um, that may give you a little clue. And that's all I'm going to tell you. That is all I'm going to tell you. I hope you enjoy it. Bye for now. Thank you very much, Linda. The Burning Question is available in paperback now from Headline Accent. So on to Glasgow, for Until I Find You by Anna Smith. Billy Castle is a PI, a former copper who left under a cloud. Most of her work is insurance or divorce. Then an obviously distressed woman walks through her door, saying that her baby has been stolen. But before she fully explains her situation, she leaves again. There's a report of the woman being involved in an accident, but no mention of a child. Still, Billy thinks there's something to this. And the story develops from there. Billy comes up against some tough hombres in this one. But she's unflinching, and she certainly doesn't turn away from a challenge or a fight. Billy's a star, 
and this is a gritty P.I. novel that gets the streets proper. A real page-turner. Published by Quercus in paperback, and available now. The Pharmacist by Rachel Latala is another dystopian novel. This time a small group of survivors live in a bunker. Wolf is a pharmacist. Life is bleak. Everyone has issues about those they left behind. The leader has his own quarters, and he lives in some luxury. When Wolf comes to his attention, he demands she spy on the people visiting the pharmacy. The reward is the possibility of becoming part of the inner circle. Wolf soon realises that the leader is paranoid, capricious, and a dangerous man. It's a dark novel, hard to escape the commentary on, on modern life and decaying democracy. I loved engaging with the world Atala created, and the ideas that she explores, more than I think I actually enjoyed Wolf's story. But this is an original read, almost gothic, and it will resonate even more given our experience with lockdown, the isolation, the claustrophobia, and the powerlessness of it all. Published by Hodder and Stoughton, and available in hardback, now. The Final Round by Bernard O'Keefe. I have to admit I had my doubts about this one initially. It takes place in barns amongst Oxford types, and the victim is discovered in the aftermath of the boat race. However, my fears were sooner laid as this is not bourgeois navel-gazing. It's a touch of satire, a dose of humour, and Inspector Garibaldi is a riot. Honestly, I think this hit the spot because I was in the mood for it, but it's a well-written police procedural with its own distinct character. A promising start for a new detective series. Muswell Hill, paperback, out now. And last, but certainly not least, Daughter by Liz Webb. Hannah Davidson's father has dementia. When he falls down the stairs and winds up in hospital, people question her care. She can't imagine that people would have thought she could have hurt her father. Hannah is roughly the same age as her mother Jen when she was murdered. Her father confuses the two of them when she goes to see him and appears to confess to killing Jen. This prompts Hannah to investigate the family past. That involves her brother, her mother's lifestyle and her father's temper. This novel is intriguing from the get-go and takes unexpected turns. A very interesting domestic noir, great on dysfunctional family. Available now in hardback from Allison and Busby. I'll be back with a review of upcoming and just-released books at the beginning of July, including Karen Slaughter, Dean Kuntz, Tess Gerritsen, and Imran Mahmood. Until then, bye for now and thank you very much for listening.